Welcome to the Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett McGarry. This week we've got a review of the biggest movie in the galaxy. Plus, I'm Jeff Braun. Netflix has a new animated show that also involves aliens. I'll review Mulligan. Plus, it's a busy weekend for new movies. Four big ones to choose from. And I want to tell you about a terrific new Star Wars show on Disney+. Plus. But first, the MCU took a big step toward redemption this week with Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. We were criminals, friends, and then we became guardians on May 5th. Are you ready for one last ride? Let's make it count. We are. Summer begins. I will destroy the Guardians. With their final tour. It's a face-off. I guess we'll die trying. I am Groot. I know who you are already! Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, rated PG-13 in theaters May 5th. The numbers, not Hall of Famers, but not bad. It's made $320 million worldwide so far, with much more to come, I'm sure. It's at 82% on Rotten Tomatoes, slightly lower than Guardians 2. For my money, I think it's the best MCU movie since Endgame, and something they desperately needed to remind us of what the franchise can be. Of course, it could be a short-lived celebration, as it is the final Guardians movie, and the last the MCU will see of writer-director James Gunn, who's been one of their best contributors. He's, of course, in charge of of all the DC stuff now. Remember, when Guardians 1 came out, almost nobody had any idea who these characters were, and now with number 3, uh, they made me almost cry like three times, so mission accomplished uh, on the series. They've brought us into it, and uh, we just love what they've done with it. Like the other Guardians movies, Volume 3 is a ton of fun, a rip-roaring adventure with a lot of humor and a lot of heart, and I gotta say, I didn't really like the character Mantis when she first appeared in Guardians 2, and I loved her by the end of this movie. I wasn't expecting that to happen. Drax, of course, is always Drax, but his uh, shtick has not gotten old. He still cracks me up. Nebula doesn't get as much to do here as she does in some of the other movies, but still great and funny. There's a new version of Groot. He's scary strong in this one. Uh, I'd sort of like to see Groot and the Hulk fight at some point. I don't know if they can make that happen in one of these upcoming Avengers movies. And, uh, you know, Vin Diesel even gets a couple of new ways to say I am Groot for a character who only says the one thing. Uh, Peter Gamora stuff I thought was really great, given how weird a scenario they find themselves in. Peter is still the lead guy in the group, but this time around, the main story doesn't really revolve around him like the others have have because it revolves around Rocket Raccoon. We get a backstory which is sad and kind of beautiful and it's an increasing or an interesting way of framing the movie. It sort of keeps uh, modern day Rocket out of the action though for a big chunk of the movie but with the gang fighting on his behalf and he still kind of looms large across the whole thing. Again, while the series became popular because of its humor and just how much fun they all are in general, I'd say the genuine emotion that they can wring from these characters in their world is what's been keeping it going. There's like two lines about Drax and fatherhood near the end of the movie and he doesn't even say anything and I almost burst into tears and that's just because they put in the time and effort over the last nine years shading their bonkers stories with uh, proper character beats and development and it's paying off big time in this third one and I suppose it's one of the challenges the MCU has had the last couple of years either there's new characters where you can't do stuff like that because we simply haven't had enough time to really get to know them or they just thought that you know having Thor show up will be enough to rock the box office and it really wasn't 
Also interesting to note that there's almost nothing in this movie that ties to any of the other uh, corners of the MCU. Apparently, the Black Panther sequel uh, a few months ago was kind of dragged down by the Marvel bosses insisting on them shoehorning other MCU storylines into the movie, and Ant-Man probably had some of that as well. So good to know that they can still turn out a great movie from time to time. Hopefully from here on out, it happens a little more frequently than it has the last few years. Uh, the Marvels, the movie, comes out later this year. That probably will not get a warm reception, at least not on the internet if uh, any of its precursors are to an indication. Next May's Captain America movie will be a better indication of how the franchise is holding up with the new captain being one of the bigger anchors in the Avengers. And of course, we'll get a couple of Disney Plus series in the meantime, Secret Invasion with Nick Fury and the Skrulls and season two of Loki. I think overall, I'm trying to stay cautiously optimistic that by the time new Avengers movies pop up in a couple of years, it will be really excited to see them again. For now, I think it's enough that there is a great new MCU movie to enjoy with the Guardians 3. It looks fantastic as they all do. There's weird new things in here we haven't seen before. I'm still not sure what the point of Sylvester Stallone is in any of these movies because he showed up twice now for no real reason. In this one, he kind of just gives some exposition in one scene that anyone else could have done, but whatever. Uh, the music, really fun as always. I'm always on board for a Beastie Boys song. Uh, I will say they did not do right by Bruce Springsteen's song in this movie. I mean, why even pay for it if that's all you're going to use it for? And remember with Volume 2, how they had five post-credit scenes. It really feels like the shine of those stingers has worn off. There's only two here, I think, and I would say the very last one rivals anyone from the entire MCU for being the most pointless. If you really have to go to the bathroom, just go. You are not missing anything if you don't stay to the very end of this movie. Although, the title card that appears is interesting, but... It'd be a spoiler, so I won't get into that. Uh, overall, though, I've had a great time. Four couch cushions out of five for Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Brett, what do you think? I am happy to report I had a great time. It exceeded my hopes and my expectations. I hoped it would be decent. I expected it would be kind of a big bloated mess, but it was fantastic fun. Once the dust settles, I'll, I guess I'll probably end up viewing it as the weakest entry, but... For me, it's just too early to rank them. I need to see it again and maybe again. But I, I just had still had a great time. First thing I do want to mention, I saw it in 3D. You are not a particularly big fan of the 3D experience, right? Nope, that uh, almost never does anything for me. I can't even remember the last time I saw a 3D movie. Maybe The Amazing Spider-Man 2? Okay, it's been a while then. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so I love the 3D when it's done properly. And uh, in this case, it was worth it. I think it's the best 3D I've seen in a Marvel movie, not once did I find myself thinking, well, that looks bad, or where's the 3D? Where's, there's no depth. It looked great, and it, it did enhance my experience, and it worked well in this setting, in this style of movie, because so much of the background is fantastical and digital, right? So animation always looks better in 3D than live action, whether it's a cartoon or CGI live action. It's part of the reason why the Avatar movies look so great, because there's so much digital stuff on the screen. I feared the runtime of two and a half hours, but for me, this movie just blew by for the most part. I mean, the last half hour kind of drag, dragged. It almost felt like Lord of the Rings Return of the King, where it just sort of keeps going and going and going, and you think, okay, this is it. No, nope, keeps going. Uh, and on that front, I do think they probably could have cut this down by half an hour, but overall, it was not as cumbersome as I expected. The visuals were spectacular and creative. Like one of the settings is this facility that's made up, at least from the exterior, entirely of organic material. So the building looks like a like a giant 
slimy alien. It's weird and it's kind of gross, but it's also kind of cool. And then you get inside and the interiors are equally creative and delightful. So the visuals do not disappoint. They're worthy of the first two movies, which continue to look fantastic. The CGI in the first movie maybe is starting to show its age in spots if you're really picky, but it still looks great. But most of all, the Rocket stuff, man. Getting his backstory finally, my gosh, it was so sad. Which also makes the villain, who is a part of Rocket's backstory, the High Evolutionary, that much more meaningful because of that deep personal connection. And great job by the guy who played that character. I meant to go back and actually add in his name into my script here, and I see I did not. Do you happen to remember his name, Jeff? Nope. <laughs> All right. Peace, the guy from Peacemaker. That's how I know. I'll the guy from Peacemaker. <laughs> Good to come prepared. Um, but uh, yeah, he was scary and unhinged and powerful. And if not for his own hubris and personal obsession with Rocket, he could have gone on to be a really big bad guy. His name is Chuck Woody Iwuji. Thank and you. And he was also in the show Designated Survivor. And oh. he's in John Wick 2. Oh, yeah, that's right. Okay. And there is a killer hallway fight. Marvel loved those hallway fights in its Netflix TV shows. Well, here they give us a supersized one that's presented as a single take, no less. And it's so good. I mean, it's not a single take, of course. and It's probably mostly CGI, but it is stu stupendous. It looks cool. And it serves to remind us of just how great a team this group is, in spite of being a bunch of misfits. It's a story with heart. Everyone gets to be a hero in their own way. It's got an interesting bad guy. It's got a compelling story with real stakes. And it's fun! I mean, it's dark at times, but it's still a lot of fun. I do have some nitpicks. You know what, why don't we get into those in a moment? Um, because I have a couple of nitpicks, and then Jeff is going to tell you about a new show on Netflix that he's quite excited about. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Brad, he's Jeff, we are The Couch Potatoes, talking about Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Jeff already gave his complete review, four couch cushions out of five. I have given my uh, review of the positives, but I do have some nitpicks. For example, Star-Lord's fancy space helmet and rocket boots. He's had them in every appearance he's made in the MCU before this, and they, those tools make him a formidable adversary, even against the likes of Iron Man. Where are they? Well, it turns out James Gunn himself tweeted that he left them behind. They're, they're in a drawer because he had to leave in a hurry. So he just didn't, <laughs> didn't bring them with him. All right, that's fair. Gamora, why is this character such a jerk in this movie? Like, I get it's not the Gamora, played by Zoe Saldana, who we came to know in the first two Guardians movies and then Avengers Infinity War. This is the one that came from the past in Endgame. So it's an earlier version of that character. But geez, she is mean. Like, she wasn't this mean in Endgame. She it was good. And the version of her in the first Guardians movie would take place after where she was at in her present time in Endgame. She wasn't a jerk then in that first movie. She was irritable, but not a jerk. In this one, she's just mean and irritating before finally coming through. So I didn't quite get that at all. You mentioned Nebula didn't have a lot to do. I found her largely annoying. She was so good in Endgame. Like many were saying, Karen Gillan should have gotten an Oscar nomination for her nuanced performance. In this, she just yelled at everyone a lot. So I found that kind of sucked. I mean, she had a couple of funny moments, and there were some cool moments, of course. 
because she's a cool character, but otherwise I found she was annoying, uh, again, largely until the end of the movie. The dramatic scenes, which were painfully dramatic, were often immediately undercut by humor, which irritated me. That's a James Gunn problem, very much like Taika Waititi. Taika Waititi was the director and uh, helped write Thor Ragnarok, but then he was given the key to the castle for Thor Love and Thunder, and that movie was largely a little too silly. And James Gunn, this is the first one where he just, he was the only credited writer, so maybe uh, there was no one to rein him in, but whatever. Um, The soundtrack, I found it actually got kind of annoying. Like, I get part of the charm of these movies is the songs that James Gunn chooses to inject, but it often felt random and forced. Like, we get it, dude, you like lots of cool music. Adam Warlock, I have mixed emotions about the presence of this character. On one hand, we had to see him because they teased him at the end of Guardians 2. So if they didn't, you'd be like, well, what was that at the end of Guardians 2? And he was a huge part of the Infinity Gauntlet story in the comics. So the fact we did not see him during the Infinity movies was a a surprise to me. I'm glad they didn't end up bringing him in because those movies were perfect. And uh, I sort of like what they did with the character in this volume three. He's clearly a powerful character, but he's and he's kind of dopey. And they the explanation makes sense. Uh, he's just not in it a lot. I suspect we're going to see more of him. And again, like he is powerful. So once he matures and harnesses his power, he's easily one of the strongest and most exciting characters in the MCU. So that could be fun. Overall, great time. If you like this, if you like this superhero nonsense and like the previous Guardians movies, there's no reason why you won't at least enjoy this. As Braun pointed out, it's the best thing Marvel has done since Phase 3, since Avengers Endgame, since Spider-Man No Way Home. It was fun. It was touching. It had amazing visuals and action. And it closed off this chapter of the MCU in fitting fashion. And while we know some characters won't be back, there's room for many characters to return. And I think that is exciting. So I too will give it four couch cushions out of five. And by the way, and if we got time on this, I'll touch on it a bit later, but uh, I checked out one of those new premiere seats at Landmark Cinemas. I'll tell you what I thought. Cool. Um, Another new thing I watched this week, it's a new animated comedy that just came out on Netflix. It's called Mulligan. Hero for a new world, President Mulligan. I like the sound of that, Senator. Don't worry, me and Lucy are gonna fix everything. I should have stayed awake in school more. Mulligan comes in part from Robert Carlock, who is best known for being Tina Fey's creative partner on shows like 30 Rock and Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. While Fey is not one of the creators of this particular show, she is one of the stars. The show is about, I've watched the first three, or, yeah, the first three episodes of a 10-episode total season. It's set in Washington, and it begins with an alien invasion. Most everybody is slaughtered, and then at the last moment, this guy, Maddie Mulligan, saves the day. The aliens are defeated, and their leader imprisoned. And that's where the show begins. But there are only 1,100 humans left on the planet. Well, that might be getting ahead of myself. We're only privy to the people in the Washington area at first. But without airplanes or any sort of communications, no one really knows what the rest of the planet looks like. But the aliens were thorough in their destruction. There's no electricity, no anything left over. And as the man who saved the day, Maddie becomes 
President of the New USA, he's voiced by Nat Faxon, who's a funny guy, and you probably recognize him. Uh, the selection of the new president is decided by the only politician to survive, an old Southern senator voiced by Dana Carvey. Sounds nothing like Carvey. He's just good at voices. Miss America survived the invasion. She's made first lady, even though she and the new president just met. And there's a little will they, won't they in the first couple of episodes. She's voiced by Chrissy Teigen. There are some few more characters in the main cast that include a pair of scientists voiced by Tina Fey and Sam Richards and the leader of the aliens who's been in prison, voiced by the great Phil Lamar. It's a very silly show, which seems to be, you know, the going rate for shows where society is mostly wiped out. It's very reminiscent of the Will Forte uh, sitcom Last Man on Earth from a few years ago, which was terrific and unjustly canceled before they could end it. Like the last thing we saw was an awesome cliffhanger and we just have no idea what happened next because it was canceled. That's pretty much the most frustrating way a show can end. Uh, That show was incredibly silly and so is Mulligan, which is Sort of what you would expect, though, from Robert Carlock after all, you know, after all 30 Rock and Kimmy Schmidt were very silly as well. Although I got to say, it's more impressive, I think, when those shows did it because they were live action shows. And when you have truly bizarre things in live action, they tend to be, you know, funnier than animation. Only because with animation, there's literally no boundaries. You can, we're conditioned to expect things in cartoons that you can't see in real life. But there are still quite a few laughs in Mulligan I found. I found the story interesting as well. It could be fun to see how they try to re- rebuild society. I don't know that I'm going to race through all 10 episodes of the season, but I am entertained enough to keep going after the first three. If you want to check it out, Mulligan is out right now on Netflix. Up next, we got our first look this week at a sequel we are both pumped for this August. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. Welcome back to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff. He's Brett. And a trailer came out this week for the sequel to The Meg. It's called The Meg 2 The Trench. Jonas, we need your help. We're detecting increased aquatic activity 25,000 feet deep in the trench. It's an ancient ecosystem untouched by man. Whatever is down there is trying to make its way to the surface. This is a bad idea. Just a little bit. Jason Statham returns from the original The Meg as Jonas, the man you want around when there's an impossibly big shark to kill. The trailer's fun, mostly people trying to either escape from the jaws of the giant shark that's come to kill them, or trying to attack it. Statham jumps towards it with a spear, which I have a hard time believing will be very effective, but I guess you gotta try stuff something when you see the shark. The first Meg also had a fun trailer, and then the movie, though, ended up being not as much fun. I was kind of hoping it would be good-bad, but it was mostly bad-bad although it's still pretty watchable, and I'm sure I'll re-watch it before seeing this new one. Shark movie sequels do not have a very good reputation. Uh, frankly, Jaws might be the record holder for being a great original movie, followed by the worst possible sequels. Jaws 2 isn't terrible, but by the time you get to Jaws 4, The Revenge, it was pretty dire. That one is actually so bad it's good, if memory serves, but I've only seen it once years ago. Might need to rewatch that as well. So we'll see what happens with The Meg 2, The Trench. It comes to a theater near you August 4th. I just hope it goes better than last time. What happened last time? You don't want to know. Go, go, go! We've never seen this before. They hunted it back. We can relax. This place, magproof. I mean, Jonas was always afraid of this, but I was also thought. Th- 
I, like you, am hoping that this trailer is actually reflective <laughs> of the film because I didn't hate the Meg, but I remember you telling me that it was more serious than you anticipated. Like, characters were genuinely taking themselves seriously. Yeah. And, but I, th- this trailer looks like they've got the memo from the audience that said this should be more fun than what you guys are trying to do because, uh, I, I, I the first one was, I, was it marketed like that, or did we just all jump to that conclusion because it was such such a big shark that it's like, well, this has got to be a silly movie because there's just no way that we would ever believe an animal like that existed. No, I'm pretty sure that, the, I mean, even the poster, it says for the first Meg, it says opening wide on whatever uh, date, yeah. and it's in the middle of the shark's mouth uh, underwater, so... Yeah, yeah. That, that and it, it to be fair it still was a big worldwide hit it Huge made 530 million dollars off of what was pro- well 130 million dollar budget okay so they like they they went all in on this it looked great yeah it, it did looked really great it was it was it was fun enough but uh hopefully they they sort of stick the landing a bit more with the Meg 2 the trench once again coming out on August 4th want to tell you about what is new in theaters this week but First, I want to tell you about this great new anthology cartoon that's arrived on Disney+. Plus. I always knew you were meant for bigger things. What if you just keep going? No need to fear. There are others like you here. I saw it myself. She has special powers. Can you get your porta potty off the starting line? She's a total... Exactly. So this is Star Wars Visions 2. The first season came out in September of 2021, and the second season on Star Wars Day, May the 4th. So these are both anthology series. They're collections, really, of just one-off stories. The first season was all Japanese anime studios, and it was in Japanese, although they did bring in some decent names to voice the English dub, like Lucy Liu, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Alison Brie, Bobby Moynihan, Kyle Chandler, David Harbour, and more. But uh, I can't grade the English dub because I watched it in Japanese. Second season is from studios around the world, including Spain, Ireland, Chile, the UK, South Korea, India, and more. It is entirely, or mostly in English, sorry, episode 5's original language is Korean, so I watched it in that, but you have to change the language to Korean and then set it back to English for the next one, or you can just watch it with an English dub, whatever. But uh, overall, I just thought that this was an incredible experience. Both seasons were were great, but I, I definitely preferred this one overall. Nine 15-minute-ish stories, all wildly different animation styles. Some of the most beautiful animation I've ever seen in nine little shorts. Like, what a, what a collection. All the stories are wonderful, and they're not bound by Star Wars canon. So they could do whatever they wanted, which was great because they had the freedom to just just tell a story as long as it follows some basic Star Wars rules. And they, uh, I will say they get a little re- repetitive at times from a thematic perspective because four of the stories are about young, Force-sensitive females trying to find their way, and it starts to become like, it feels like just a rehash of what we saw come before. But again, they're all coming from different studios around the world, so it's not like they're trying to repeat the story they're just telling their own story and you jeff you mentioned the internet earlier talking about the marvels and i know there was a chunk of the marvel fandom that is not 
excited about the Marvels because they hate uh, Brie Larson as Captain Marvel. But uh, you got to love the angry section of fandoms out there. Star Wars <laughs> might be the worst because as soon as this show came out, immediately I started to see the complaints that the show is woke and it has a woke agenda because the bulk of the main characters are female. I mean, hey, I'm a male, and I, it would be cool to see more of a balance, I guess. But whatever. I mean, a good character is a good character. The sto- a good story is a good story. And uh, I really enjoyed this all the way through. It didn't even occur to me until near the end, like, are any of the protagonists male? So it clearly didn't bother me. Amazing stories. Some are hopeful. Some are inspirational. Some are dark and sad. Some are bright and fun, but they are all cool. So if you are looking for a truly unique Star Wars experience and you are you don't want to be worried about, well, do I have to have seen the seven movies and watched the 115 episodes of The Clone Wars? No, it's these are all one-offs and it's cool. And the, the best one, I think, is done by Aardvark. Or Ar- is it Aardvark? No, I'm mixing that. I think, I think it's Aardman Studios. Uh, they're the team behind uh, Wallace and Gromit. Oh, so it's that style. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. So like that, that clay, fun sort yeah, of yeah. claymation studio. Uh, and, and it was a terrific, and it's cool because the name of the episode is I Am Your Mother. So I was wondering, is this going to be a play on No, yeah, yeah. I am your mother it's not. but it actually the way it, they deliver it 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 was it it was like a punch to the gut of oh like it was really touching and sweet <laughs> and you might enjoy jeff there's an episode called the pit and it's reminiscent of the pit that bruce wayne finds himself in, in the dark knight rises oh the little the underground prison yeah you can get out if you can get out pretty much yeah yeah there's a, it's a situation like that cool. and uh, it's just it's a that is one of the darker episodes that's both dark sad but also hopeful uh out of pain and sadness comes this uh this tr- tremendous hope and light but uh yeah it's a good show so that's cool and uh, i want to tell you quickly about what's new at the movies this weekend And there's a big one coming home as well. That's next. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett. He's Jeff. We are The Couch Potatoes. Four new movies to pick from this weekend. So we just wanted to scream through them here because starting this weekend, there's a movie about a Canadian once upon a time giant. It's Blackberry. Yeah, what can I do for you? Okay, picture a cell phone and an email machine all in one thing. There is a free wireless internet signal all across North America and nobody has figured out how to use it. It's like the force. Sorry, have you seen Star Wars? No. Tells the true story of the meteoric rise and catastrophic demise of the world's first big smartphone, BlackBerry, described as a whirlwind ride through a ruthlessly competitive Silicon Valley at breakneck speeds. It looks fascinating. It looks fun. It's at 98%, Jeff, on the Ooh, Rotten Tomatoes. That's pretty good. I, I very much am interested in this. I think I'll probably go see it this week if I can uh, find the time. I know Glenn Howerton from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia is in it. Mm. And he, he plays Jim Balsilli, who, of course, was the guy who made the BlackBerry. I'm a little bit worried only because 
It's Always Sunny has been on for 15 years, and I've only, I think, seen him in that. So he is always Dennis to me. And Dennis is a unique character in It's Always Sunny. So I don't know. It might be hard for me to make the switch over to him as this other guy. But I'll give it a shot. It looks good. Yeah, and I think the way, if I'm remembering the trailer correctly, he's he's not portrayed in a kind light. No, it didn't look like it. Yeah, because he, he sort of he sort of muscles his way in. He says, all right, I'm going to help you with this. I'm going to back you on this, but I want like 51% or I can't remember. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. I uh, just remember that guy's name being in the news all the time as his company was going down. Yeah, <laughs> that, that, was a, that was a scary thing to watch unfold. Up next, we've got a sequel to a 2018 movie starring Diane Keaton, Jane Fonda, Kenneth Bergen, and Mary Steenburgen. Book Club was that movie, and in that first one, it was about four friends whose lives are turned upside down when their book club tackles the infamous Fifty Shades of Grey. And now, we have the sequel. The book club is back. You're engaged? For the next chapter. The book says we can't reject our destiny. A bachelorette. Italy. This Mother's Day. Where do I stuff the dollar bills? They're totally fabulous. Animals bush. Somebody's bush is already quite amused. And slightly scandalous. Buonasera, signora. A buff cop. Show me your concealed weapon. Book Club, the next chapter. Everything is sexier in Italy. Rated PG-13, only in theaters May 12th. So this one, Book Club, the next chapter, takes the book club to Italy for the fun girls trip they never had. And it, it looks fun. Not getting the best reviews. Whatever. The third one on the big screen this weekend is something I've never heard of. But if you're into anime, you probably know who the Knights of the Zodiac are. I know there is pain in your past. But beyond that pain lies your strength. You are destined to become the Pegasus Knight. You can't be serious. You're serious. Feel the cosmos within you. War that awaits us is unlike any other. Thought you were the only knight in town? Come face him! Knights of the Zodiac. Only in theaters May 12th. So indeed, based on the international anime sensation, the Saint Seiya saga, the Saint Seiya manga had over 50 million copies in circulation as of 2022. So this is one of the best-selling manga series out there. So for fans of this kind of stuff, this is a big deal. Uh, So hopefully the movie uh, lands. I don't know anything about it. I know that we heard the voice of Sean Bean in there, so that's cool. I wonder if he'll get killed in the first half hour. I was going to say, he probably dies in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> but Seiya, is a, he's a headstrong street teen. He spends his time fighting for cash while he searches for his abducted sister. And when one of his fights unwittingly taps into mystical powers he never knew he had, he suddenly finds himself thrust into a world of warring saints, ancient magical training, and a reincarnated goddess who needs his protection. So, I don't know. That sounds kind of fun to me. So this might be something I'll watch one day down the road. I won't be going to see this on the big screen. And if you want to, if you don't want to go out to the movies this weekend, you want to watch something at home just in time for Mother's Day, which is this Sunday, May 14th. Jennifer Lopez stars in The Mother. Where's my baby? You wasted FBI time trying to cut a deal for yourself. And seven agents were killed. This conversation now takes place on our terms. Adrian Lavelle and Hector Alvarez are still out there. You and I both know the only way you protect that child is to disappear. And if I don't? They'll find you. Both of you. 
So in The Mother, Lopez plays a rootin' tootin' gunslingin' former assassin. She's been hiding out in the Alaskan wilderness for years and now has to rescue the daughter she left behind to protect her. It looks fun and yay moms. So there you go. Four choices for this weekend. By the way, uh, we were talking Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 earlier. I did rewatch Guardians 1 and 2 going into this one just to sort of re I'm really glad I did. Yeah. Because it's I knew the characters, but just the, some subtleties that they, they focus spent more time focusing on in those first two movies. But uh boy oh boy, those movies are all three of them like as a trilogy, that's a a real slam dunk for Marvel. Yeah, and it's uh, okay. Uh, Captain America, I think, still gets it for me. But I would say this and Captain America are the only two times they've gone three for three. Maybe the Spider Man's as well, but yeah, usually like with Iron Man or Thor or whatever, there's always one that's like, yeah, really. But now with Thor, there's like two. So yeah, no, it's uh, by far one of the best trilogies they've done. And Kurt Russell. Effortless cool as ego in, one. in that volume two. So yeah. I had a great time going back to rewatch those first two movies. You did a rewatch uh, for a moon, moon, new movie that came out last week. There's another new movie coming out next weekend that I have done a rewatch for that took a lot more time than the two Guardians movies. We'll get to that next week. I just want to also quickly tell you as well that when I did go see Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, I went to a landmark cinemas to watch it, and in many of their theaters across the country, they're adding what they call premiere seats. Like, all their seats now are power recliners, and they're great. you got all kinds of leg room. They're super comfy. But they've now added a row of premiere seats into select theaters, and... It's basically it's more or less the same seat. There are a couple of a couple of interesting new things, like the the head rest part of the chair also reclines now, so you can tilt that backward or forward, oh. which is sort of a neat touch. They also they're heated. If you want to My have heated like seats, that. she's always cold, especially in the theaters. Yeah, I, well, I brought a sweat. Like I was wearing a t shirt and shorts, but I brought a sweater with me. I never like I remember going to see Thor, the first Thor, just wearing a T-shirt and shorts, and by the end of the movie, I had my arms like under my shirt. <laughs> uh, so the heated seats, and it's and I tried it out. It's not super hot. Not it's like in a, your car. Yeah, like it's not instant. You're boiling. It was more of just like a little bit of extra heat, and they have these dividers. So it's there's they're in banks of two, and they have these little privacy dividers on either side. So that's kind of nice. And on each of those dividers, and this would be. So good in the winter, a little thing to hang your coat. That is huge because if there's one thing I hate, it's what to do with my bulky jacket when I go to the movie theaters, especially in the winter. Uh, private dividers, people get nasty in between those things. Is it that private in there? I don't need that in the theater, thanks. <laughs> it's not that private. Okay, good. <laughs> it's just enough that you can't <laughs> immediately see them unless you lean over. That's all the time we've got. I'm Brad. He's Jeff. We are the Couch Potatoes. Remember, if it requires getting up off the couch, don't bother. <laughs>